0: You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Read up in just a moment, hang tight. But I just want to give a bit of an intro first to the, to the series that we've been going through the last few weeks and will take us probably, with a short gap, probably to about nearly Christmas. How scary is that? It's scary, but it's actually not that far away. That's even scarier. Um, we're in a series called Jesus is Better Than, as we look through the book of Hebrews, Um, Because Hebrews is this book that is basically telling these early Christians that are getting persecuted, sit tight. I know there's lots of different philosophies. I know there's lots of different teaching coming your way, ideas coming your way. I know there's different ideas of who's God, what's God or who Jesus is. But sit tight, stay the course because Jesus is better than all of that. And he doesn't just say it as a throwaway statement. He says it, test it. You will see. The things that you try to pursue, the idols you have will come up empty and Jesus will ultimately be superior in everything. And so he has continued to for the last 2,000 years. Jesus is still better than. No one's coming up with a better option. Jesus is better than. Brad challenged us. If you weren't here last week, uh, Pastor Brad Godby from Southport Church of Christ came and preached about this, exactly that Jesus is king of our life. And if you don't podcast, I'd encourage you to have a listen to that one. It was a, a, a phenomenal time of encouragement around who Jesus is and his proper place. So um, if you don't know how to podcast, come and have a chat to me. I'd love to help you get involved with that. And of course, I can get you a CD if not. But talking about to putting Jesus in his proper place as king, phenomenal encouragement last week. If you weren't here, please have a bit of a podcast and a listen to that. But we're going to continue on in the book. But first, I want to show you a picture Sorry, I surprised you, Sarah. Sorry, you thought we were going to reading, I know. Sorry. Just keeping her on her toes. It's a second or third time doing it, so there we go. Great job. Have a look at this. You see, probably, probably doesn't need too much explaining, um, <laughs> but you can see. One sees six, one sees nine, and then the next one. an Island, guy sees a boat, he's excited. The guy on a boat's perspective sees the land, he's excited. Perspective. It's, um, it's, it's huge. From where you're standing, from your background, from your experiences, how you... Actually affects the lens that you see things through. For one guy sees a six, the other guy sees a nine, one guy sees a boat and it's good, the other guy sees land and it's good, they're both about to meet disappointment. <laughs> as they, they realise... They're each other's. Um, they see each other's um, perspective. We're going to talk a little bit about this this morning, but I'm going to ask come up, ask Daniel Evans to come up and give us our reading um, in Hebrews three. If you've got the Bibles at the back there, open those up to Hebrews three twelve. You can read along. Thank you so much. Good
1: morning. Good morning <clears throat> yeah, Hebrews three, uh, verse twelve to nineteen. See to it, brothers, that no one, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we first had. As uh, as it is written, today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion who were they who sorry who were they who heard and rebelled were they not all those moses led out of egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the desert and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not at those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Daniel. I've forgotten one thing in my prayer, um, and I'm, I'm not looking to embarrass her, but I have I've met a lady this week, um, and she really feels the... Um, she feels the pull while she's um, on holidays to get baptised. Um, she has a friend who's encouraged her and said, Bapt- Baptism is awesome, uh, you should do it. Uh, a Christian lady, but really felt that like, what a great thing to do on a holiday to get baptised. And so we had a chat about that this week and we're going to baptise her on Monday. Down in the Telabaja River, so yeah, I'm going to get cold, but it's going to be great. It's worth it. And so I'm going to quickly, we're going to quickly pray for her because I invited her today to come and see community and have a community pray for her. So Jill, I'm going to embarrass you as least as possible, um, but you're at the back there, and we're going to just pray for you because we're excited about baptism, and um, and excited for you, and we want this to be a transformative holiday. Um, What a powerful way to go on holiday, and have that symbolism. So is that okay? Can we just quickly pray for you? And uh, excited for tomorrow. So, uh, Father God, thank you so much for Jill. Thank you for baptism holidays. That should definitely be a thing. <laughs> and we thank you that we can um, celebrate her story and the, the power of the symbolism that's in baptism around dying to oneself and being a new creation, Lord. And I pray that there's, if there's any history, if there's any things that she wishes to see restored and redeemed and made for you, Lord, I just pray that through this baptism that there can be power in that. That can be things can be washed clean, Father. We know she's already yours. She's already saved. But let this be a powerful moment of transition and transformation, in Jesus Christ's name, Amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Daniel. Um, there's this word there. So today, the writers of Hebrews. He, he last week, Jesus is King, Jesus Superior, Jesus King, giving a theology around who Jesus is. And then what he does, he takes a moment and he turns to the church, because this is written to the church. He turns to us and he says, if Jesus is all this, if Jesus has done all this work, if if our assurance and rest is in him, then what on earth are we doing this for? (laughs) What's our job? What's our purpose? Why don't we just say a prayer and we're beamed up to heaven Why are we left here? He said you have a purpose and so he turns to us and encourages us around a purpose of existing as a Christian. Very encouraging today and that's exactly what I want to talk about. He uses this word, exhort. Exhort. Who uses that word in everyday language? To exhort. It's an old timey sort of word. (laughs) But it means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. It's his picture. He says, Christians exhort each other, strongly encourage or urge you to do something. I heard this, I like this one as well. Um, This was kind of like a, yeah, another meaning or put in a phrase, I guess. An exhortation is a loud or enthusiastic urging. Say that again. An exhortation is a loud or enthusiastic urging. Put simply, our job as a church with each other Is to exhort each other, to help each other, to encourage each other to keep going on the mission set before us. It's right there. That is our literal drive. Everything, what do we do here? What's the purpose of gathering? One of the main things is said right here encourage each other, exhort, exhortation to keep your eyes on Jesus. Pick each other up and refocus on Jesus. What does it actually mean though we say these things and then we go that that just imagine if i just left it there just do that but what does it actually mean to exhort? what does it actually look like to be a congregation a body of christ that comes together and encourages each other let's put some even more legs on this what does it actually mean is it just nice words is it is he saying when you get together be say nice words to each other is he saying Compliment each other's new glasses and new t-shirts. Is that what it is? It might be. I'm not saying it's not. Is that what it is though? Is it a hug? Is it just pat each other on the back? Is it a blanket response? Is it when someone's sharing with you their heartache and their hardships, you're to have blanket responses? What I mean by that, someone saying, I'm going through this, it's really difficult. Oh, well, trust Jesus. On you, mate. Is that what it looks like? Is it just a blanket response? Oh, I hope you've got, turn your eyes on Jesus. I'm sorry to hear about that. Is it that? Is that what exhortation means when the writer asks us to do it? What does it mean? Because the writer's pretty serious about encouragement. He says, this actually helps the body not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It actually keeps our eyes on Jesus. Well, lucky I don't have to make up what it means, because the Bible tells us. In fact, the writer tells us a story that I just want to share today. It's really one major story I want to unpack today that he's referencing to, to tell us what it looks like to exhortate. It's actually a story that Brad referenced, but we didn't go right the way through. It's a story that is actually at the end of Exodus. or so it's in numbers, but it's at the end of the Exodus story. I want to tell that story today and hopefully give us a picture of what it looks like to exhortate. Because the writer here assumes that we know this story because he mentions it multiple times. But today you may not know that story, so I want to tell you that so you understand what he's saying when he says entering God's rest or exhortating as part of the body. First of all, I want you to tell me the Exodus story, though. Who knows the start? What, what is Exodus about? And even if you haven't read the Bible, you've seen the Prince of Egypt, maybe, tell me, tell me the story. Someone start me off. Who's it involved? Bingo, Egypt. What happens? Sorry? Moses. What's Moses do? Great. So we're piecing it together, just making sure we're all on the same page. Moses delivers them from slavery, his people. Well God delivers them from slavery. Moses leads them. Took them out, takes them into the desert. They see miracles, they see provision, they see signs. They're in the desert for about 40 years. heard a great quote, it wasn't that God was waiting to take them into the promised land or take them out of Egypt. It's that they needed 40 years for Egypt to be taken out of them. Because they keep talking about this slave mentality. So it's a transformative 40 years towards the promised land. Then they get to the promised land. Literally can see it from the valley next door. And that's what the story is about today. Let me read a little bit. So they're at the promised land. This land is a promise of a home where they're not slaves that they own. They can become a nation. It's our equivalent of the kingdom. This is everything they have dreamt for. And they're in eyesight of the promised land. Let me read what happens. From Numbers 13.30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go at once and occupy it. Let us get over there, we're here. For we are well able to overcome it. So the land is taken at that point. Then the men who had gone up and said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. Listen to this, they brought, because of this, they went and got a bad report of the land that they had spied saying the land through which we had to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all that people we saw are in of great height and there we saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim and we seemed we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers we felt like grasshoppers when we looked at these guys and so we seemed to them I'm going to stop there because there's a phrase there that most pastors, a lot of pastors try to avoid because it's a bit strange. A word, Nephilim. It's actually a teaching I'd love to do around the spiritual realm and what these words mean. Another time, another sermon. But as to say that sometimes God's extreme in the Old Testament. Sometimes he sees to take over a land and you're like, what is God doing there? In most cases, it's alluded to that there's something more sinister that we don't understand going on in that land. Let me explain. There seems to be a point when man's sin combines with a spiritual realm and they align and they seem to build a city or build a land. When both the spiritual and man's brokenness seem to align, there's these points in the Bible where there's normally a city or a town that it's described that way. Pharaoh's described that way. And all we know is this Nephilim, this giant, is somewhat of a combinement of that. And all we know from other cities is normally there's killing and sacrificing of kids. We normally know there's terrible rape and sexual immorality in these cities. This is how these cities are usually described. Intense murder, All types of dark and evil things. Babylon's described this way. This land isn't quite described this way, but it's hinted at that there is something dark going on. And so as you read through the Bible and you read that God asked them to take over a land, sometimes it's hard to see that. You're like, oh, why did he take someone's home? More often than not, can I encourage you, without all the details, that there is something going on often in that land that is very dark, very broken, and a little bit strange. So that's all I've got really time to re- preach on that this morning. But I want to encourage as they see this land, it has these people called Nephilim. And something dark is going on. Something horrible is going on. And so God is saying, yeah, you need to reclaim that land, redeem that land. Just a yeah, small, I know that's a super distracting topic. And we're going to preach on that another day. But I wanted to clarify that word Nephilim. It points to a combinement of the spiritual realm and our brokenness coming together. So the spies go out into the land. They send spies out, one from every tribe plus Joshua. And they go have a, they go have a look at the land and listen to how they describe it. Or or we've heard how they describe it. They say there's giants. We're like grasshoppers. They give a bad report because they don't want to go. And so this conversation actually carries on. Moses talks to them and listen to what they say. Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept at night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation, all of them said, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Saying, oh, we'd rather have died in Egypt. We would have rather died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into a land only to fall by the sword? Why is the Lord, uh, our wives and our little ones will become a prey? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I love that. Classic humans. We don't like this. Is there Someone else who can do it for us because you're not telling us what we want. Let me continue. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among them, so they fell on their faces. And they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. This is the promise that God gave us. If the Lord delights in us, it says, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. I like Brad's little joke last week. That does sound rather disgusting, a land that you're walking in milk and honey. But the description there isn't as literally milk flowing from the rocks. It's a land of blessing. And two of the greatest things you could have then was milk and honey. It's flowing with chicken and trifle. That would be mine. Okay, God, I'm in. Think of something you like. Someone makes an incredible trifle every time we have a potluck. It's probably the main reason I keep having him. So thank you for doing that and it's a blessing. Um, only, so milk and honey, only to not rebel against the law and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. God is not with them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. How do you think the congregation responded? you're right they said no the congregation said said to stone them with stones Um, but the glory of lord appeared in a tent of meeting to all the people so they said let's stone them for saying that listen to the perspective there this is what the writer of hebrews understands that those listening to the verse know this story for us it's not as familiar we don't know it off by heart but listen to what the perspective is here listen to the story two stories are being told One is, I wish we were in slavery again. This isn't fair. We're going to die. This feels unsafe. Oh, this isn't a very smart, safe decision. Think of the children. They rise to cry. They wept all night. Grumbled all night. And I love this last part. As I said, we need a new leader. Not to lead us, but give us what we want. Because I don't like. This sounds dangerous. Moses and Joshua try to remind them of a different perspective and then even God intervenes and he says to Moses listen to the disappointment in Yahweh and God listen, listen to this how long will these people despise me how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the things I've done I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them fine I don't want to be my kids I'm out and I'll make the other nation greater and mightier than they. If they don't want this, then fine. Back to that picture, that six and nine, different perspectives. Two different perspectives. One perspective is about how unsafe, uncomfortable, scary a move is. It's actually rooted in their own insecurities, their own fears, their own issues. One story is about themselves. The congregation here are telling a story about themselves, what they like. The other story that's been told, Or imagine if it read this. Let's imagine for a moment, we opened our Bibles this morning, I said turn to Exodus, we all know the ending, it's fantastic because it reads like this. Imagine if it read like this. God's people saw what was ahead for them and they knew, they knew that Yahweh had done everything. He'd gone before them. He knew that he guided them. They remembered the freedom that he gave them from Egypt. They remembered the food and the water and rest God gave them in the desert. They remembered the miracles and the winds he had blessed them with. The miracles they saw, they looked over their future home. And they knew that God would not fail them as he never did. They knew in a moment of uncomfortableness, it was for the sake of a kingdom to come. Nothing compared to the prize of building a land, a nation, a kingdom where God actually said he'll stir in and be a blessing to not just them but he actually says there'll be a priesthood to everyone else through their love and generosity and way of being. they restore that nation, they would restore the planet and they would just wait for Jesus to come and rule his kingdom. Imagine if it read like that. But no, it doesn't. And so the God says, okay, generation there. You don't get it. You don't want it. Your story is about you, not about me. So you can have what you want. Have it. I truly believe we think that everyone would have went, oh. A little bit of me actually believes a couple of them went, great. I didn't want to go anyway. (laughs) doesn't say that, but I suspect that they're actually happy to Stay in the desert for the next 40 years. The next step seemed like too much. This is the story the writer of Hebrew uses here. This is the story the writer wants us to remember. Right through that scripture read by Daniel is references to this very story. He wants us to tell us something that exhortation has something to do with the hearts and the story being told here in Numbers and he's so serious about it he says be any of you evil unbelieving hearts will lead you to fall away from the living god there's a warning here as well church in line with this whole book so far this is a call to celebrate remember refocus on jesus and his kingdom the writer is asking us to consider something here he's asking us to ask what story are you telling What story and perspective are you telling? He's got two stories here. What story and perspective are you bringing to the church, to your brothers and sisters? Think about the way you speak. If someone was to think about the last six conversations, this isn't a guilt thing, just think through the last six conversations you've had with people. Did it express a story where it was about Jesus? Was he the superior one? Was he God? Was he fully able to come into the mess and the darkness? Was he the life giver? Was that the story you were telling? Were you telling a story of hope, telling Jesus' story in everything? Was it a story about the thing you're going through, Jesus can work in it? The thing that you shared with somebody. It may be hard, it might be dark, it might be messy, but it, was it a story about Jesus at work? Are you telling a story where Jesus is bigger, better, and more superior than anything else? Again, not a guilt thing, just a question to ask that the Hebrews question, He wants us to consider as we approach each other. Probably one of the best examples, it came to me yesterday as we took our kids to the park and we had a wonderful morning. Mez made them, um, the, uh, Mez cooked some breakfast for them all. We watched a movie together and then we went to the park in the morning with Poppy and we, we did a heap of different things. Amazing morning. We get in the car and what do you reckon, parents? What's the first thing Belle says to me? Yeah, well, Lou. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's, a, that's the best guess, but it wasn't this time. It was my middle one goes, I'm hungry. What are we eating when we get home? She says it's line. can we do something special? I thought I thought the park, special breakfast, movie, family time. I thought that was pretty special. But okay, Belle. Belle's story, because she's four, is a story about her. And so even though she's had all this great stuff, she gets in the car and she goes, Oh, what else do I want? That's the best way I can explain this. The writer is asking us to maybe not get in the car and think about ourselves first, but think about is there another story to be told? Has God been doing some things that maybe the first thing we don't do is just ask for something more or complain about our situation? This is what he's saying when he says, I want you to exhortate, encourage your brothers and sisters towards Jesus. Don't get in the car and the first thing you do is complain. Remember the good times 40 seconds ago when you were laughing and playing in the park with your family. It's easy to take this lightly. It's easy to think this is just a motivational speech to encourage. This is scripture. The writer is way more serious. It's actually enough for these people to not enter God's promises because they're telling a different story. 40 years to just die in the desert because... They didn't have the perspective where Jesus or Yahweh was superior. It's crucial to the survival of that church and to this church. So I've put a bit of language around exhortate, another definition. I reckon it looks like practicing and speaking hope. It's kind of, I was trying to think of a way to... Practicing and speaking hope. Practicing, if I've spelled practicing right, I don't know. Ignore it if I haven't. And speaking hope. So a couple of disclaimers and then wrap this up with some practicality. A couple of disclaimers. I'm not saying it's a call to be happy all the time. Please don't hear this. I'm not saying to exaltate means plastering on a smile and walking to church and just being, I'm happy all the time. That's not what the writer is asking us to do. I'm saying as we discussed a few weeks that even in the mess, even in the hard times, it's about still seeing Jesus and his work in it. Probably the best example of this I can see is I I went to a funeral a couple of weeks ago. Um, And it was someone's here sister and it was sad. It's a funeral. No question about it. It's not about walking in as as a pastor there and acting happy at a funeral. No, it's a sad time. But my friend whose sister it was got up and shared a passage of hope from Revelations about the wiping away of tears. And in that moment, even in the chaos, even in the mess, even in the real sadness, Jesus wept. It says, shortest verse in the Bible, there was a moment of yes, but do you know the only way we're going to have hope in this situation is through Jesus. That's what it looks like. I'm not asking you to be happy all the time. Not fake. You can be real. Just what story are you telling? How are you practicing and speaking hope? He was telling Christ's story in amongst the darkness. He was practising and speaking hope. Again, what story are you telling? What will your conversations lead to this week? What will church coffee be about? Will it be speaking and practising hope? Will it be bringing your brothers and sisters in Christ, discouragement and death, or life and hope in Jesus? Second disclaimer, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. He wouldn't have to encourage us. He wouldn't have to encourage the early church less than 100 years after Jesus had come if this was an easy thing to do. It's not easy. So I'm not saying just hurry up and exhortate. Just quickly do that, please. It's actually really hard. You need to be soaked in the story and the hope if you're going to be the one to tell it so you can't do it by yourself you need to remind yourself of that story consistently, that's why we do communion to remind us of the hope in Christ so then we can speak it live in it that's why I've labelled it practicing because no one's perfect at this we've got to practice it be reminded of the hope and salvation all the things God has provided us with remember before we met Jesus and the things he's been bringing in our life and then live from that, that's what Sunday's about encouraging, celebrating so that Monday to Saturday, we can speak and live in that hope. It's that reminder each morning of who you are in Christ. It's been soaked in the promises of God. I love Jewel fits when she's, to keep her busy when it's slow in the op shop, she writes the promises of God in a notebook. Don't, I hope she doesn't mind me telling the story. But what a way to remind yourself of the hope and promises of God. Write them out. Remember them. We know this is hard because we see it in the Bible. We see see this conversation where Peter says, you are Christ, he says to Jesus. And Christ says, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm going to build the church on. Ten seconds later, him and the boys, forgotten the story, forgotten where they are, and they're telling each other, I reckon I'm the best. Did you hear what Jesus said? I reckon I'm the best in the kingdom. And he says, get behind me, Satan what a way to inflate the guy and then deflate him 10 seconds later because it only took him 10 seconds and he'd forgotten the point. It's about Jesus. It's not your story, Peter. It's Jesus'. So if they can stuff up at this, we we can all use some practice. So super practical. Let me give some scenarios as we wrap up this morning. I'll even ask Jeremy to come on up when he can. Yeah, there he is, yep. (laughs) <laughs> parents let me start with the parents how does this play out for you parents of young kids we've got lots of young kids in this place we've got lots of parents of young kids kids are sick aren't they a lot has anyone else noticed that I feel like it's a stand up routine what's to do with that <laughs> but has anyone noticed they're sick a lot and if you have multiple ones they take turns of being sick they don't do it at the same time We've got Jono sick today. We've got Lauren sick today because the kids gave him sickness. Thank you, kids. There's so many things in your schedule. It's insane. They take turns. So I'm not saying, parent, you can't be upset. You can be upset. I'm not saying you can't be stressed. I mean, anyone here, my boy, he cried right through John Edwards' prayer up here. That was stressful. It's stressful. That's okay, though. But mums and dads, How are you practising hope in this? Are you reminding yourself that the only true person that can watch over your kids is God? You can't control them. You can try to guide them. God is the ultimate authority in that. Are you preaching and speaking hope in that? Or is it all about the issues? Are you thanking God for for the little creatures called kids? How often are you asking the Heavenly Father for parenting advice and help? Or resting, and he's the only person to be able to truly protect and grow them. How often are you being reminded and praying for them and being reminded on what a blessing they are and practicing and speaking hope in some messy, chaotic times? That's my challenge for you guys this morning of your parents and for me. Are you practicing and speaking hope in that? Is Jesus alive in that? Career driven male or female, insert your name there. It can be a roller coaster, the business world, ambition drive. How often are you taking time to thank God for your provision so far? To thank him no matter how big your building is, his kingdom is bigger and it's forever, and that though your sales, your KPIs, your brand uh, uh, they'll be pretty much forgotten 30 seconds after you leave the world, definitely within a generation. The relationships you've built, the relationships you have spoken, hope into will last for eternity. How often are you reminding yourself of the kingdom you're building as well as your lad ambition? But is it Jesus' story? Young person, young adult, teenager here. Is Jesus a story about the things you're not allowed to do, not allowed to wear, not allowed to own, not allowed to practice? Or is it a story about the one thing in the world that can give you life? No, let me tell you this. Young person. (laughs) No Europe, Bali, American trip, although fun, will help you find yourself more than in Jesus. In fact, the story, I found out this the hard way, isn't actually about finding yourself. My story spent six or seven years trying to find me. I travelled, attempted trying to be famous, a lot of drinking, some recreational drugs guess what I found at the end of this enlightening experience? Still me. (laughs) A broken young man. Turns out the the deeper I digged within myself I still found me. If you try to find yourself you're going to be disappointed. It's about finding more of Jesus. Dying to yourself finding him. The irony is if you find him, you'll find your true self. (laughs) Are you practicing and reflecting that hope? And then to our seniors, what's your story? It's probably got some major health worries now and then. It's probably involved feeling unneeded at times. I can appreciate that. It's even maybe feeling sometimes put to the side as your kids and grandkids and great kids get older, I mean, if you're a great-grandmother, they now have a grandmother as well. That's hard. This is not your true story, though. God has seen your faithfulness. God has seen your heart. We don't do the... Pastor's job we can sometimes hear of even acknowledging that, but we see those that have laid the foundation for this church. We know that's your story and continues to be. What story are you telling then? I love this picture in Hebrews 13. I'm, I'm conscious of the time, but I love this picture in Hebrews 13. It shows, it says a cloud of witnesses. It shows the youngsters running a race of perseverance and it says there's this cloud like the Colosseum and they're cheering them on. And I, look, I see that look sometimes from some of our people, even me. They're like, do you have way too much energy? <laughs> look, you're running around. Or they see us with the kids and like, I remember that stage. Good on you. I'm glad I'm not in it anymore. But are you cheering them on? Are you witnessing that going, I remember what it was like? Go. Go for the kingdom son or daughter or spiritual son or daughter. Go. Let me encourage you. It's hard, but keep going. What a beautiful picture of the Colosseum full of people cheering them on. Is that your story? Go spiritual grandson, go spiritual granddaughter. What story are you telling? And then very lastly before I pray. It says this in 1 Peter 3:15. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Here's the last bonus of all of this. He's even the next level is, what does it say? What does Peter ask us to give a defence for? Hope. When we're out at Stockland shopping, he's not saying give a defence for the sermon you just preached give a defence for the person you told they're going to go to hell unless they repent. He said, give a defence for the hope that they see in you. Not just does a hope and speaking hope help each other, but it expands the kingdom. It expands to your neighbourhood, your workmates, your fellow school parents, your peers. They demand an explanation for the hope you carry. Why are you speaking that? You've got some explaining to do. Bev Weems, we know her. She's had a massive year. We know why. Even in her sadness, there's a hope there. She's got some explaining to do, to see change, right? And she's explaining that. How can she have that hope, even what she's been experiencing? Bonnie, the stuff you experience, you've got some explaining to do. How come you're so hopeful, even in the darker times? Please explain yourself, Bonnie. (laughs) Jill, Jill James, why are you so friendly all the time? (laughs) Why are you so nice to everyone? You've got some explaining to do. What's this hope that you carry? Coral. What's this life in you? You're always cheerful, even with the recent surgery and the things going, where's the cheerful come from? You've got some explaining to do. Where's this hope come from? Edwards family. How can one family be so humble and so talented all in one thing? You've got some explaining to do. The humility. Tanika and Josh. Why on earth are you guys here? This isn't a young adult church. You look straight out of Hillsong. There's cooler places you could be. I know this. Why are you dedicated to seeing the young people come and know Jesus through Burley Heads Church of Christ? You guys have some serious explaining to do. Church, let's give people some reasons. Let's give some people some questions. Let's speak hope. Practice hope with each other. Let me, um, let me pray and the band's going to sing one final song. Father, let us live our lives practicing hope, speaking hope. Not off our own back, but off the knowledge and, and rest that Jesus is Lord. That in this crazy seasons that we cross on all generations in this church, we know that you are superior in it. And because of that, we can remember that, we can celebrate that and we can spur and exhort that. And we can leak that hope into our community. Father, give us the strength, give us the the vision, give us the willingness, give us the spirit that powers that hope. Father, guide our conversations, correct our conversations, help us be bold enough to speak hope and make that choice and, and lift The body up. Of any age. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one laugh. Let's stand and sing one laugh. Let's stand and sing one laugh. Let's stand and sing one laugh.